0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: This is up around the way. Your source for weekly updates on what's happening in the world of motorcycle racing. You know how fast you were going? Industry news. Trends. The people involved. I'm Ricky Carmichael. This is Kevin Schwartz. This is Josh Demoth. This is Kelly Smith. This is Travis LaTroy. This is Jeremy McGrath. And now, Pit Pass Radio. Hello again everybody, it is Pit Pass Motor Racing Weekly, part of the family of Evergreen Podcast from the Evergreen Podcast production system. You can check out Evergreen Podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com for a diverse and dynamically curated blend of creative programs with a wide range of lifestyle programming. Our network features entertaining shows, great creativity, and production values, and of course quality. And we're part of it. Happy to be number one in the whole family. And we appreciate that opportunity to entertain you each and every week. It's Scott Casper with you on this, uh, what we call the turn show after being gone for several weeks in, in hospital, in and out, and uh, seemingly on the road to recovery. We'll see. Uh, but do want to thank the docs and nurses that took care of me, and uh, family as well, for taking care of uh, everything they needed to do to do back here in our uh, home state and home city of des moines iowa uh, i want to say thanks to eddie Camp tony wake and pj duran they all have the weekend off and a uh, particular program off i should say chris ba- bishop and tommy boy halverson uh, are joining us and uh, just the various questions we ask throughout the program coming up, coming up we will have conversation with cooper mcdonald and i know that uh, we've got a bunch of questions including a surprise bonus question for cooper and that of course from tommy boy halverson uh we'll start the program off with rodney smith but before we get there i want to let you know that this portion of the program brought to you by our friends at wiseco performance product a a full line of forged pistons precision forged clutch baskets clutch hubs crankshafts, forged connecting rods valves and more for just about any motorcycle atv snowmobile pwc outboard marine and automobile on planet earth it's one name one solution. It's WiseGo. wiseco.com. All right. Um, you know, we had a great hour, number one. I, I don't. I don't care too. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be shy about it. Was a good a good hour as we helped to kick off the uh, season that is flat track starting August 4th. Uh, we had Michael Locke on. He's always fun and full of information and always growing AFT. So it's uh, American Flat Track is uh, riding high right now and we expect that to continue. Justin Bogle joined us to talk a little bit about his season, what's going on in his career as did Lane Michael. If you missed any part of it, go back to our website where Leanne has dutifully and artfully assembled those very interviews on our website. You can go listen to them at no charge and we'd appreciate hearing from you. if there's somebody you'd like to hear on our program let us know we'd love to hear from you and we'll do our level best to get them on the show and if there's a specific reason you would like to uh, have us have them on the program let us know that too because uh, if you could pique our interest we'll work that much harder once you say that's true i think it is jack you, you think that's true right absolutely i mean there are folks that uh, have never been on this program and we'd love to have them on and uh, gosh you know sometimes it's not easy to get them but by golly we do our level best. This portion of our program, as our number one was, our number two is dedicated to the memory of Carlin Dunn. We had him on the show September 4th. He died earlier this month at Pikes Peak. That race, uh, as a matter of fact, is put on hold now uh, for the balance of 2020. Uh, there will be no motorcycle racing, and they're evaluating whether or not motorcycle racing will return to Pikes Peak. The former winner and film producer lost his life there uh, at Pikes Peak earlier this month so our thoughts and prayers are with his family his friends and of course the entire industry that absolutely loved carlin dunn all right let's go to our very first guest of this particular hour it's rodney smith if you want to see a guy that just knows how to adapt and win rodney smith is that man he joins us now from northern california rodney how are you i'm
0: doing good thank you
1: is that where you are rodney Uh, in northern no cal right now
0: yeah, I'm actually uh, in the Bay Area. They, they call it the Bay Area. It's an hour from San Francisco and an hour from Sacramento.
1: What's going on out
0: there? Um, uh, well, we had a little bit of a heat wave this last weekend, but it's cooled off now. And um, I don't know. For me, it's kind of the better part of California. we got some good trails and good mountains and trees um, and a little bit of everything. So, yeah, Northern California is a place to be for riding.
1: I don't want to make this a political show, but... Uh, of course, the conversation is uh, in many ways surrounding California uh, on all networks, and it's talk, they're talking, of course, about the homeless situation uh, with not just uh, veterans, but also just normal fo- folks, and we're talking tens of thousands of people living on the streets and the reemergence of uh, several types of diseases that have been gone, like the black plague, for example, that have been gone from uh, uh, at least the face of the earth for quite some time, but now making uh, its return or the return of the these various diseases. What are you hearing being a resident of Cali?
0: You know, I haven't been, I don't even watch this, so I don't pay too much attention to, it. but I can tell you I've seen a rise in homeless. Um, never really noticed it much before, but it's getting bad. Um, even the time that I'm living and you see them by the road tracks and you see tents and stuff popping up everywhere. And, uh, you know, after living in Brazil back in the 80s and seeing all the poor and poverty and stuff like that, it's starting to see that in America now. It's starting to see these little camps, you know, where 20 or 30 homeless people kind of get together and and build their little place, and uh, it, it's, it's bad, it's uh, like I said, it's growing fast. I mean, I can't believe how many people
1: are homeless here in my town. It's uh, it's crazy. We pray for them, and, of course, we pray for our lawmakers to make the right decisions to help benefit these folks and pull them up and out of poverty, out of homelessness and all that. We're talking with Northern California superstar Roddy Smith, and I mentioned one of the most versatile racers ever, grabbing wins at the highest level in both motocross before switching off to off-road and carving out one of the greatest careers ever in the woods and the desert. Uh, 13 AMA-sanctioned national championship to his credit, including five Grand National Cross-Country titles, three AMA National Hair Scramble titles, and five, this one really gets it, five AMA National Reliability Enduro Championships. Which is your favorite? If if there was a style that you've competed in over the years here in America and elsewhere, is, is there a particular style that really just tripped your trigger?
0: Well, I think probably the most prestigious championships are the GMCC obviously because that's where all the competition was and um, a guy from west from the west coast to go out back east and uh, you know learn and adapt to their riding style or to their terrain and to uh, bring home a couple championships back there was pretty pretty um, intense. Um, I had a lot of people tell me I'd never be able to do it. You know, from the west coast. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, my favorite was uh, the old school national hair scramble back in the uh, you know early two thousands late nineties when it was a true national championship. They basically was a nine-race series. They had three on the West Coast, three in the Central, and three on the East Coast. So to me, and it was like a GMC type format. I mean, that's basically the same thing. But it brought all the different types of terrain. Like when you'd race one out in the West Coast, they a bit more high-speed desert, faster terrain. When you ride in the Central Oklahoma, more rocky and that kind of stuff, Texas. But then when you got to the East Coast, you had the Tiger Woods. So to me, that championship was a true championship because it brought out the best of all you know, who can adapt to all the different types of styles of terrain and across the country, you know, and uh, bring home the championship was was prestigious to me. That was a, a pretty cool gift. Cool
1: Your family really started to endorse and embrace motorcycle racing back in the 60s and 70s, and it was there, from there, I should say, that uh, uh, you, you blossomed into what we call local motocross standout and then an international contender. I think that first... Uh, hand up was, what, 1985, when you accepted an offer to race in Brazil. What was that offer like when you heard the offer number one, and uh, obviously you went down and and, uh, did some damage winning five Brazilian national championships?
0: Yeah, I think one of the main reasons I the the avenue to Brazil was in 1985, I was racing well, 83 and 84. In 85, I was a support rider for Yamaha here in America. And they were really struggling at that time with their 125s um, with power. And I remember they just kept promising, you know, like in 1985, it was supposed to be a really good 125. Do. And for the first round of Danville it was still the slowest bike on the track. There was only me and Keith Bowen that were riding in the national circuit. And They just were not even close. And I'd already spent 82 and 84 trying to build my career and, and trying to test, you know, the bike and I was struggling. I'd get a third one moto and the bike would be an next moto, you know. Um, so I, I kind of didn't want to spend, a, you know, another third year on a bike that wasn't equivalent to everybody else's. Um, I think I went to Daytona Supercross and did real well, got us eighth or ninth or something that year, and then the people from Brazil asked me to, to come down there. And I remember asking uh, Yamaha at the time if I could switch to the 500 class because that winter in the Golden State, I'd won a couple of Golden States against Phil Larson and those guys that were some of the top, top riders in the open class. So I kind of wanted to switch just something that would be a little bit better you know i didn't want to i didn't want to have to fight and test all year on the um on the 125 again um, i was figuring so that's why i took the army to brazil uh, the buddy wasn't all that great at the time uh it turned out to be a really good good way of going but um yeah it was just different
1: it's a part of the world where you you know we're, we're up here luckily uh in the good old us of a but uh you know brazil has its uh champions it has its uh uh opportunities for guys just like you yeah, Any type of racing can surely improve uh, your abilities and uh, your desire to compete at, at a variety of different levels. There's got to be some guys, though, that you looked up to that were heroes to you growing up. Who were they? Brock Clifford. Rock Glover. yeah. Yeah,
0: you know, I just liked the Golden Boy. He was always an intelligent, smart, clean rider. I liked Johnson. I liked I mean, McGrath, Carmichael. Um,
1: they were pretty good Rocker. in their day, weren't they, McGrath and Carmichael? Well, you bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the best.
0: But they were good. I liked their attitude. I liked their training. Um, you know, JMR um because I was you know, grew up in the sport. My parents used to ride motorcycles and when I was in, in elementary school and stuff like that, we were like considered the Hells Angels, you know, right. dirt biking. and I remember when the movie on Eighth Sunday came out, it kinda helped change our whole career. Uh people saw dirt biking as a little different of a sport. And um so I felt like I was kind of been part of that, you know, helping try to make Motorcycle become a, a real sport, like an athlete sport, and get recognition, and not just be um, you know dirt bags. Hmm. Uh, the type people, you know. So it was really important to me to bring that clean attitude to show that we weren't on drugs, to show that we were you know hardcore trainers, you know, just like any other type of sport.
1: There was a house uh, three doors up from my dad's gas station when I was growing up, and uh, they were honest to god hell's angels. Uh, you know riders they weren't racers by any stretch of the imagination they wore their cuts proudly in their dirty blue jeans and their big black boots and lots of chains and whatnot but uh, i remember they would walk in front of my dad's gas station on the way to the uh, little corner grocery store and they'd always bring me back a uh, a fudgicle and after they turned the corner, my dad had grabbed that fudgeicle and he threw it in the trash can. He said, don't you ever take anything from those guys. And I was going, but it's just a fudgeicle. He says, it represents a lot more than just a fudgeicle. He said, that's where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> my dad had it right to begin with. My goodness sakes. We're talking with Rodney Smith. Rodney, of course, uh, one of those Hall of Fame cats. If you'd like to read a little more about him, you can do so at MotorcycleMuseum.org. Um, there are certain parts of his career that has spilled over into other parts. It's not like he just stopped doing one discipline and went right to the next. Sometimes uh, the 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 discipline spilled over into each other. Uh, you know, it's not like Evil Knievel ever went out and raced dirt bikes and then became a jumper or became a stunt guy. You know, he was either one or the other. You know, he liked to ride motorcycles, but he really liked to jump. He loved the thrill of the jump. Uh, did you, in your career, did you ever get a medieval? He was a regular on the show until his untimely death, but, um, you know, it's guys like that, that really helped build motorcycling up because he looked to be the clean, uh, cut all American cat that may have drank a little too much beer or whatever. But, you know, he took riding a motorcycle and jumping a bike to completely different levels. And I think all of us put a board on a tire and attempted to jump on that tire. Stupid. me! I was one of those guys. Yeah. How about you?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I was an Evil Knievel fan growing <laughs> up. I had the little uh, motorcycle, I had a little home with a ramp that you jumped the motorhome on the bike and, um, you know, and then of course we adapted to it on bicycles and started to create little jumps and, you know, thinking that we're the next evil Knievel. Sure. Sure.
1: You know, okay. his son, Robbie, always answered the phone when I call because uh, we're, we're located in central Iowa, and his grandparents lived in Perry, Iowa for years and years and years, and he spent quite a few summers uh, up and around Perry, Iowa, so he always remembers that with uh, a great deal of affection, but uh, sadly, they did not get along until the, well, not even at the end. The two uh, were, very, I think, very much alike but would you agree that uh, evil and his red, white, and blue machines and helmets and the colors uh, really helped set motorcycling on a what I would call a positive trend?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it got everybody's attention, and uh, people started paying more attention to it. Um, and I think another one that's kind of not, now that you say that's kind of following his footsteps and goes right into another one of my items is uh, Travis Pastrana. You know? Oh, wow. He got into freestyle stuff and uh, from a racer, you know, into his shows, and, you know, he learned how to... You know, not just be a racer, but to bring motorcycling to a different atmosphere. And, and he was a clean-cut kid. You know, he wasn't the uh, tattooed-up, you know, the other freestyle-type riders. He was more of a clean-cut and, and trainer. And um, I really idolized him a lot, too, and I think he's brought motorcycling to a new level.
1: I think Travis, one of the secrets to Travis, and this is my estimation, of course, but it was that his father was involved. Uh, and still is to you know a degree at least family is involved to a degree, but when you go out and recreate all three of Evil's biggest Vegas uh, events uh, and nail them on a bike with I don't remember what the travel was on that uh, on that Indian but uh, it surely wasn't what Evil uh, the travel on Evil's bike uh, but they were stiffer heavier uh, and at least the bikes that Travis was was uh, using in Vegas but boy did he have fun prepping it. And then uh, yeah. uh, you know presenting it, it was it was a show, and I think most people out there thought if evil couldn't do it one event, you know every six ten months, Travis was gonna do all three in one night. But he did, yeah. he did. Yeah. I mean, if, if you were not a Travis Bazzrana fan at that, you know prior to that, you surely turned the TV off that night, going, "Wow, wow!" Yeah, no kidding. And a lot of people look at your career that way. I mean, Roddy well, Smith, you got out there and got after it in a big way.
0: It's interesting, I was listening to you talk about it, and, um, it brings back some other things, thoughts to my mind, but, you know, I was, I grew up in a family that went trail riding and, and rode enduros and stuff like that when I was little, and up until I was about 13, 14, and, uh, one of our family friends said, hey, you need to take this kid motocrossing, so my dad took me motocrossing, I think, at the age of 13, right. and I clicked right away, started doing really well, and we kind of just turned into a motocross kid, you know, going racing every weekend, and we quit trail riding, we quit camping, and, uh, you know, doing drills and stuff like that. My brother was an older enduro rider. But um, so for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I became a motocross and went in that type, you know, full full motocross career. And then when I retired in 92, I came back home from Europe and I retired from racing motocross. Kind of was a little bit lost into what I wanted to do, and um, motocross kind of became a job, and I was just learning how to enjoy riding my motorcycle again and, and uh, having fun with it. And I went and did four major off-road events in 92, which was a qual- six-day qualifier in Idaho, one in Oregon. I did the Virginia City Grand Prix and something else. I won all four of them. And Suzuki America called me up and said, hey, we want you to ride for us. Uh, we want you to go do six days. And I didn't want you to ride for us off-road. And I remember I didn't really want to um, do it because I didn't want it to become a job again. But I you know, talked to my friend and we did it my way. And for the next couple of years, I, I just kept it fine, you know. Um, That's the secret. But, but I went from a motocross career to an off-road career, And I remember when I got into off-road, people didn't really know who I was because I was a motocrosser. And then after five or six, seven, eight years of off-road, nobody knew I really used to do motocross. (laughs) It was kind of cool. But I'll tell you who's really impressing me a lot right now and who I've been paying a lot of attention to is Ryan Sykes. Oh, yeah. Because he's doing a little bit of everything all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like I said, I did motocross for 15 years, and then I turned and did off-road for 15 years. He is doing off-road, flat-track, motocross, everything, you know, every other day which is kind of really unique
1: and cool. We love to have him on the show, too, because uh, fascinating to talk to, you, as are you, Rodney. Rodney, I'm up against the clock, but i got to tell you, it's always yep. a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Anytime I get to talk to an honest-to-God Hall of Famer, and we go back to 2015 when you were inducted, I was perhaps as excited as you were, if not even more so, because uh, you got one of your biggest fans talking to you on the show on this particular episode. I appreciate the time and the opportunity every single time. we it's get You
0: guys talking to me, yeah, it's awesome
1: rodney smith thanks rodney
0: thank you guys Happy
1: Very, doing. well man that's that's one of the uh, absolutely good guys and i appreciate that i am going
0: to give you a break with your voice for a second there's, there's something that i wanted to bring up okay over the weekend yeah we had a gentleman that was living on the south side on his way home on a motorcycle right uh pickup failed to yield at the intersection and basically hit him and killed him yeah, And we talk about this, Scott, all the time, especially the beginning yeah. of every season, that you need to realize, look out for the people that are on motorcycles. That's right. Because, you know, he had a wife, had kids, you know, he was like in his 50s someplace. Yeah. 59. 59? 59. Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, he was 59, you know, and it's just, Family. it's heartbreaking. Family.
1: Family well what it is and and i will tell you this and and sheriff kevin schneider Polk county sheriff was in studio not that long ago he said you can ride your motorcycle but you also have to drive those cars because you got to think put yourself in that situation and if you don't sadly you're leaving yourself wide open so yeah good good job bringing that up jack i appreciate that and our thoughts and prayers go out to that family as well yeah remember don't just look both ways look always Always. Mm -hmm. Keep your eyes wide open. All right, next up, Cooper McDonald joins us. Cooper.